Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. We often hear the expression, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that's true. We are hopefully through the Enneagram working together to parent a world, to cultivate the strengths of all nine numbers in ourselves and in the world around us. And as we do this work, we move towards wholeness and completion. We grow and we create uh, a more loving and compassionate world. Uh, We're not doing Enneagram work if we're not working towards a world that's more accepting and more compassionate because that is what the Enneagram is moving us towards as parents and as human beings. So whether you're a parent or not, we're all in this work of parenting together. And our guest today is Billy Kilgore, who writes a lot about parenting for the Washington Post and for other online magazines. He has a lot of wisdom to impart. I know you're going to enjoy his easygoing presence. He's an Enneagram 4, and we're just so grateful to have him and to have you here today. I also wanted to remind you that Kat and I are leading a workshop with the Never Perfect podcast, which is hosted by Beth Capici, who is a psychologist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So for any listeners who live in the Chattanooga area, the workshop will be September the 17th at Adele's Crapery. You can sign up at eventbrite.com and we hope to see you there. Let's talk about sixes um, and their strengths. We'll start out with their strengths. They are amazing at creating a, a safe environment, an environment where the kid feels very secure and knows that they're going to be taken care of. Um, they're loyal champions for their kids, and their kids know that they can trust them and that they have their back. Um, like because sixes, uh, just when they feel close to somebody, um, there's that sense of trust between them and the other person. And because they're hardworking and dependable, they have a knack for parenting. Um, You know, they they show up for parenting, uh, like if there's a soccer game or whatever, they're going to be there. You know, there's other types who might be so busy that they're going to miss things of their kids if they're not in a healthy place. But the six, no matter what level they're operating at, they're probably going to be at their kids' Um, music recital or dance recital or whatever they're just really loyal hence the name loyalist Um, but then while they're really good at being loyal and protective kids also need to take risks and they need to be adventurous um, and even they need to get hurt sometimes Um, so a six needs to allow their kids to take chances they have to be careful of being a helicopter parent Um, and I mean as we talk about all of this, things may resonate with you, uh, even if it's not your number. Like for me, my dad, I'm pretty sure he was a nine, but because the arrow, um, my dad's deceased, but the arrow of stress um, for a nine can be the six. So he had a lot of six energy. 
And um, I have that, like I inherited that from growing up with him. So like, I definitely have that helicopter nature. And even though I'm not a six at all, and I, I, I still have to be really careful of that. Those um, mm. are also mistrusting of outsiders sometimes. And so they may have a hard time like trusting a daycare center or a babysitter um, and, and trusting that they will keep the child safe because safety is paramount. And so sometimes like the six has to embody that needed virtue of faith and hope and trust. Like those are the virtues that the six need um, so that, you know, they can have time to themselves and have me time. And so they have to take that leap of faith that, yeah, I'm going to put my hands in this baby, um, put my child in this babysitter's hands and it's going to be okay. And then the talk style, like, again, we're talking about the talk style for every number because it really does connect with parenting and that's catastrophizing, worrying for the six. And so the six really has to uh, watch that those worst case scenarios and that everything's gonna go badly and talking that way in front of their child because then the child sort of develops, like I said, I'm not a six at all, but I do have, because I was raised by somebody who had some real six energy and maybe my dad was a six and not a nine. I don't know though, because most of his like really good friends will describe him as really easygoing and things like that. I really think he was a nine. He went to the six and stress. But um, I have developed, even though I'm not a six, that catastrophizing and thinking about worst case scenarios. And so I think that's why the six has to watch that and be careful because their child can end up fearing the world like way too much. So that's my offer for the six. But Okay, so with you and your wife, Kara, and you said earlier that your wife, Kara, is a one, um, do you guys ever struggle with the helicopter parent um, piece? And what advice do you have for parents who might struggle with this? Fortunately, we haven't struggled with this. <laughs> you know, I joke with my friends that I'm too lazy to be a helicopter parent. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I don't have it in me, you know, I, you know, I can, uh, you know, I can be controlling as a parent, you know, I, I want to know where my kids are at and who they're with and uh, what they're doing, you know, I could be very intense about that, but I, I don't think I'll ever be the parent, you know, lingering over their shoulder, you know, doing everything um, for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm just way too, too lazy for that. Uh, but, you know, for helicopter parents, I think I would ask them, you know, what are you getting out of hovering over your child? You know, like what what's going on inside you? Because like I imagine in, in their minds, they're thinking that all their actions are, you know, in service of their child and they're doing it completely, you know, for their kids best interests. But I, you know, I doubt that's the case. You know, I would, I would want to say, you know, what, what's going on inside of you? You know, what are you getting out of this? Um, because, you know, my, my guess is that, you know, they're somehow getting their needs met too by, by hovering over their kid and, and, and operating that way. And, you know, it's so easy as a parent to, to cross that, you know, boundary where, you know, you're from helping your kid to, you know, getting your own needs met. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this, you know, over and over. So I'm, I'm speaking from experience. It's, it's a really hard boundary to keep in place, but, but that, that, that would be the question I would ask a helicopter parent, 
you know, if, if they ask for my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Billy, I really like that thinking about what needs uh, of our own we're meeting by being a helicopter parent. And certainly the term helicopter parent can be overused for some people. They may just be very supportive, but there can be this fine line when it moves in to being controlling and also over-functioning as a parent to the point that you can find your sense of self in your child instead of exploring your own hobbies, self-care interests, career aspirations, and it can even lead to some enmeshment where you're kind of fused with your child instead of allowing them to find their own sense of self and become differentiated and kind of spread their wings and fly. So I really do think it's important uh, to be careful and aware of what needs we're meeting through operating as helicopter parents. And so I will definitely keep meditating on, on that for myself. Thanks, Billy. Also, I wanted to share that sixes are not the only type that can be guilty of being a helicopter parent. So you might be raised by a parent who is a six or has six energy, or for example, even ones because control or eights where control is a big thing and wanting to have control um, that that can turn into a little bit of not letting your child go out and ride their bike and just be free because you want to have control and you want to see them and you want to know that everything's okay. So I think that, um, and also your subtype, the self-preservation subtype is all about safety and security. So if you have a self-preservation subtype, which we're not getting into that today, that's a whole nother podcast episode, but that can turn into being a helicopter parent. Mm -hmm. So um, anyways, thank you, Billy. All right, y'all, let's move on to number seven, my second favorite number. I'm married to a seventh parent, so not a parent, a husband who is a seventh <laughs> So I would say from personal experience, seven are the classically defined fun parent. They're the ones who would play with the kid and genuinely enjoy it because they love the game or they love the fun. They would... Um, you know, exude joy and adventure and happiness and optimism, which are all just phenomenal things to be around, especially for children to be around. Um, what we struggle a little bit with is the structure. So, you know, the, 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 the thing that makes them feel suffocated and stifled and confined, um, they may not want to introduce it to their children at all which you know I'm you know being a one I feel like routine is the you know epitome of all the happiness there is so a little bit just to keep things in balance I think for a seven to be aware of you know you have got to have some kind of structure and routine for your children um, along with the adventure but um, also uh, sevens would be the parent who would and I really love that part of my husband, especially with a teenager, when emotions are really low or things are, you know, looking super doom or, you know, just something, my life will never be the same when your child is feeling that way, they can always see a silver lining. 
happy always. And it's easy and it's immediate and the way that they can shift the perspective to something that is not so bad is miraculous to me. Uh, that's to me is, is, is their gift. But also, um, you know, my husband even has this acronym, uh, PMA, positive mental attitude. And it just, his nature that's his chemistry he doesn't have to try to grow it or maintain it it's just him so I think Ellen would teach and show again you know live what you preach they would show how is it to live with a positive mental attitude which mm -hmm. is phenomenal in my opinion um the struggle for a seven is to um to deal with a partial part of life, which is negative emotions for themselves, for people around them, and I think for their children. And let's just face it, it's part of life. You know, there, there's heartbreaks, there's hurt feelings, there's, you know, depression, there's all of the things that are tough for um, for all humans to deal with, and children are, are not being exception. And a seven, like a five would withdraw from that, a seven would just like, would try to uh, flip it into into not a big deal or it's not so bad or it's going to be okay when a perhaps a different response would have a bigger impact in a beneficial sense is yeah this sucks yeah oh it's it it is bad yes it does hurt um and let's sit in it which is so freaking hard so my question to you is, what advice do you have as a parent who's Enneagram 4 to somebody who struggles with inviting their children to not only talk about their struggles and things that are not going well, but to be in that space with your children without trying to make it better or fix it or move on or withdraw, whatever, but to sit in it with them? What advice would, and I struggle with that too. I just want like, it's a one, I just want to fix it and move on. Yeah. So, and I know it's a superpower before, like not only can you feel it, but you can hold space for it. Yeah, I, I think this is a really tough one. Even as a four, I think it's a challenge when you're dealing with children and helping them to process their, emotions um you know i like what you said about making space for it and and sitting with it you know i think that's the crucial first step is to not gloss over it or try to skip over it but to just really make room for how bad it sucks and to acknowledge it and you know hopefully talk about it and you know, it's really hard because it's so uncomfortable. But I think it's almost an act of discipline. You know, when things go wrong, you know, when pain arrives, you know, it's almost an act of discipline to say, you know, stop. You know, we're not going to gloss over this. We're not going to pretend that it didn't happen. You know, we're just going to really sit with it and be honest about it. and and let it suck and and that's a lot harder uh it's a lot easier to say that than to do it 
Um, I mean, I think that's, I think that would be what I would suggest to someone in that situation. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's different with kids than adults. You know, I think dealing with kids or teenagers definitely requires a, a conversation where you explain to them while we're sitting with it and, you know, why we had to cancel the cookout or the weekend getaway, you know, like why we need to hit the pause button and those things so we can deal with it this first, you know, I think it requires a lot of intentional talk to kind of set up the space to, to feel the feelings that you need to feel. I think that's great. Setting up intentional space to feel the feelings you need to feel. Uh, let's look at the eight now. As parents, eights are leaders and protectors. Um, they're direct and their children learn personal responsibility and accountability and know their parents will always have their backs. Um, eights encourage their children to work hard and pursue their dreams. Um, again, eights are protectors. And so the kids of an eight just always know that their parent is going to be there. If something happens at school, the parent's going to show up and not be scared to be assertive. They're going to talk to the principal about it. Like they're going to stand up for their child and for justice and things like that. So the eight is great at that. Um, but they, you know, wherever there's a strength, there's also a downside because they're so assertive and strong, they can be intimidating even to the child and the child can feel a little bit overshadowed sometimes by parents who are eight um, because they have such a big magnetic personality. Like if the eight walks into a room, everybody is like, man, like the, this is, you know, the star of the show, like because the eights mm -hmm. have this intensity and energy that just kind of surrounds them. And so again, like somebody who's a child of an eight can just kind of feel like they don't matter as much. Um, so, um, you know, eights have to be kind of sensitive to this and, and tune into their, their children's needs and their children's feelings. And they have to work on vulnerability because vulnerability and being weak is so hard for an eight. So for an eight to like pay attention to their their child and like make them the star of the show even though you know the eight's often the ceo you know they're in charge they're a leader in their company but to make their child the star and to focus their attention on their feelings and how they're doing that can be really really important uh, for an eight and the talk style of the eight um is often like uh, like an authoritative directive talk style, we might call it a diatribe. Um, but also along with that talk style, sometimes there is a louder voice. Like often um, when I have eights as clients, they talk to me about how their partner or child may think that they're too loud and too intense and they have to work on softening their tone. Um, three of the, the like uh, sort of emotional attunement uh, things that we need to do are, are to watch um, the tone of our voice, to touch somebody, and to make eye contact with them when we're talking to them. And I think that that can be good for an eight because if they're if they're taller than their child and towering over their child, the child is not really going to feel um, like they matter. And so for an eight to sit down and have eye contact where their child can look right at them in the eyes, maybe even touch them. That can be a way for an eight to soften 
and then to watch the tone of their voice. I think that can be really helpful um, for an eight. So those are my offerings for an eight. Um, so Billy, as you look back on your own experience with your own parents, is there anything that you wish one or both of them were more vulnerable with you about? Yeah, I think this this answer would be good for an eight too. Um, I don't think my parents, either one of them are eights, but I think this would apply to an eight too. That I think one area that's important for a parent to be vulnerable about is their their failures in life. You know, to be honest with their children about you know, when things went wrong, when things fell apart and, you know, how they responded to those moments. You know, I think our tendency um, is to show our children our successes. And, um, you know, I know with my parents, I saw the trajectory of their life as, as very stable and, and fruitful. Um, you know, that's what I saw, but I didn't really hear about their failures or the moments when things, you know, went wrong. And so, you know, I think it's really important for children to hear about those hard times and, and how you responded, and, you know, how you got up after you've been knocked down, because that's, you know, such a teachable moment. And I think is often a lot more helpful to kids than hearing about your successes. And so I, I want to be intentional about that with my kids, you know, to make sure they're aware of, uh, you know, my failures and shortcomings uh, and don't just see, you know, the positive side of what I've done well. Mm-hmm. And, and I could see that applying to an eight because they are such, you know, kind of dominant personalities that are, that tend to be good leaders and, you know, kind of put up a very like successful front. Um, you know, I would think a good challenge for them would be to make sure they talk about their failures and challenging times with their families and be vulnerable in that way. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's all about honesty, you know, talking about the full picture. And that sounds like, again, what you needed as a four, that your parents just didn't realize. They didn't have the Enneagram language, right? So they didn't know mm-hmm. that you know, at the four, uh, you just needed to talk about the hard stuff. You needed to like feel the hard things and to yeah. know years and uh, not just their successes. And so I think that that's where knowing the Enneagram can really help a lot because we can keep in mind, like these are the things all nine numbers need. And let me see if I'm attending to that. Even if I don't know what my child's Enneagram number is, that I'm still like tuning in to all these sort of different needs. So, yeah, thank you. All right, let's jump to number nine, Karen. And thinking of Karen, who is Enneagram nine, I would imagine they would be the most loving, supportive, easygoing parents there are. I think my mom was a nine and she has passed a long, long time ago. But one thing that I think she gave me that I thought was normal and when she passed I understood that it wasn't is how much she accepted me Mm -hmm. 
that she just loved me completely as I was. And she instilled with me that I was, you know, exactly how I needed to be. And even when she corrected me in some ways, I still felt like she was in love with who I was. Mm -hmm. And then when I haven't experienced that love ever again, after she passed, it was a shock to the system. I was like, that's not mm -hmm. how you are. Oh, okay. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that hurts. So, and now I think would give their child so much love and make sure the child feels so loved. Um, I also think they would be a parent who would make their child be seen. I see you as you are, accept you as you are, I love you as you are. Um, the trouble could be when a nine could become a little too uh, much of a good cop in a sense, like a seven would be a fun parent and a nine would be just a good parent, a good cop, the one who would never rock the boat, who would not do the conflict whom maybe even could be steamrolled over mm -hmm. by children and others. And, you know, children are very perceptive. They're very smart. They know which parent to go to for different things and whom to ask for what. And if a nine is not careful, it doesn't show that way the, the ability to be assertive and be perceptive and understanding when they're being kind of used and abused and steamrolled over, they might get taken advantage of almost. And children would mm -hmm. do it not with any bad intention, just because they can get away with that. Because a mm -hmm. parent would say, yes, you can do this. Yes, that's okay. That's not a problem. Um, they also um, would, you know, with, with nine having a difficulty with conflict they might be a parent who would avoid the conflict or avoid feeling of anger or you know kind of just want to soothe all that and as you know sometimes uh conflict is inevitable you've got to know how to do a fight and you have to you know fight with with your child and um a nine could probably grow in that area that said a beauty of a nine especially in a household with more than one children they would be an excellent mediator. They will mm -hmm. see all sides, all perspectives. They'd be able to sit down and kind of see and lay it all out for everybody to have a concept. You come from here, you come from here. How can we meet in the middle? So that would be a gift. So you got to, you know, it's like a Jedi sword. You got to use it. Know how to use it, yeah. but don't, <laughs> you know. So my question to, to you, Billy, about, about nine in your home, you know, now knowing that your, your wife is a one and you're a four, do you kind of have this split of good cop, bad cop? Do you have sort of a parental role box that maybe you're in consciously or unconsciously and do your children know which box you're in? <laughs> <laughs> and if you are, how do you try to claw your way out of it and kind of flip the script? Yeah, I hate to admit that uh, I'm uh, often the the easy parent or the the good cop. <laughs> yeah, my kids, 
you know, I think they they sometimes sense I'm the weak parent and that they can come and ask me for something or try to manipulate me to get something. So, yeah, I'm probably not the best person to, to give advice on this topic, <laughs> but uh, um, I can I can see my wife rolling her eyes right now. Um, so, yeah, I definitely have to be aware of, you know, not falling into that trap of just being the good cop and. Um, you know, the only thing that really comes to mind is, is, is communication. Like, uh, well, I say communication because, you know, I feel like what helps most is when my wife is very direct with me and, you know, notes that, you know, she has been forced into the bad cop role and that, you know, this is not working, you know, it's not serving the interest of our children either. And, you know, she really, when she's very direct with me, it helps me to kind of flip the switch and realize that I'm being too easy with my kids or letting them steamroll me. And, uh, you know, when, when that switch flips, you know, I, I become more aware and, you know, start to put the boundaries back up and start, start to be more direct with my kids and, and uh, realize that, you know, the boundaries have fallen down. <laughs> um, so yeah, again, I, I totally am guilty of, you know, falling into the, the good cop side and uh, letting my kids get away with too much probably. Um, but, but what helps most is when my wife is just very direct with me and communicates clearly. So, you know, if, if somebody else is struggling with this, I would say, you know, communication is probably the, the most important part that you don't just ignore it or, you know, be quiet about it and end up being super resentful, you know, something like that. Stay tuned after this word from our sponsor for a short meditation. Let's start this meditation with prayer hands at our heart and with breath. Breathing in, breathing out. Let's set an intention to raise children who are reformers and seek justice. Breathe in and breathe out. Let's set an intention to raise children who know that they are unconditionally loved just as they are. Breathing in and breathe out. Let's set an intention to raise children who shoot for the stars and follow their dreams. Breathing in and breathing out. Let's set an intention to raise children who are introspective and creative. Breathe in and breathe out. Let's set an intention to raise children who seek knowledge and are lifelong learners. Breathe in and breathe out. Let's set an intention to raise children who are careful and who are loyal to the community. Breathing in and breathing out. Let's set an intention to raise children who are playful and who know how to have fun. 
breathing in and breathing out. Let's set an intention to raise children who are strong and have a sense of self. Breathe in, breathe out. And let's set an intention to raise children who seek peace within and peace in the world. Breathe in and breathe out. And even if we're not parents, it does take a village to raise a child. And I hope that is, it is our intention to do this collectively, to nourish all nine Enneagram types in ourselves and in others. Namaste.